0: Hi folks, before we start the podcast, a little bit of housekeeping. As you know, Shrapnel is now in its third episode, but it needs your help to get out there to a wider audience. How podcasts get discovered, they chart, and how they chart is when people share, like, and subscribe. One of the main things you could do is go head over to your player, whether it's Spotify or Apple or whatever it's on, and leave a review, five stars please, uh, and that will help boost it up the charts and people will see it, maybe click on it, and who knows. Also, tell your friends, tell whoever it is you're listening, recommend it. Even if you have to lie, I mean, I'm all for that, okay? Thanks for listening uh, and thanks to everybody who has supported the guys so far. It's off to a flyer, uh, but please give that little extra push. Uh, Enjoy the podcast.
1: Welcome to the Shrapnel Podcast. I'm Sam McElwain and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host Gareth Mulvana. Good evening, Gareth. Hey, Sam. How are you? I'm not too bad. No, no, i Sorry, tell a lie. I'm fucking livid. <laughs> it is, is what I am. Um, I've I've been sitting it makes over. A just, sorry, it, it, yeah. It I've been sitting just before dinner time, looking through my, my Twitter timeline, and uh, and it's just the same stuff with the cost of living. Uh, it's really getting to me. I'm. I'm in a situation there's two of us working in this house and we'll we will probably get through we'll have to be economical but we'll get through but i know there's there's people out there that aren't um, some lady in england had tweeted her energy bills and basically it had gone up from 120 pound a month to 600 pound a month Um how, how do you absorb that kind of, of deficiting your pay packet your pay packet hasn't went up that much i mean mm-hmm. what what are people going to be cutting out we're looking at food banks we're looking at uniform banks for schools we're looking at whatever heat banks are supposed to be um, i remember working in a bar um, and i had a, a couple who came in in the morning for 11 o'clock and stayed the closing time and it wasn't because they wanted a drink it was it was cheaper to come in and buy the oil drink and something to eat than it was to sit, sit and heat their own house and that's 15 years ago what's it going to be like this winter we're going to have our old people
0: back in the libraries yeah I remember like 20 years ago working in well Old Park Road Library you know that area well like myself North Belfast and you know you would have had elderly people coming in during the day sitting reading the newspaper looking at the books and you'd realise that the same people were coming in day after day and spending the same amount of time and basically that was going back to 2003 and that was people not being able to afford to heat their homes so god knows what people um in those circumstances are are like now you know it's 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 a real you know i often wonder you know i'm you know don't often find myself saying this but when when is a revolution going to happen because yeah. people people seem to you know and I, I, I include myself in that you know you 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 talk about it and say this is awful but where, where is critical mass? What's, what's going to happen? I mean, we've seen... I mean, I've, I've heard people say that, like, you know, we'll have one crisis. And then there's another crisis that follows so quickly that we haven't even got time to get angry and, and act upon the first crisis before we're on to the next thing. Because we've got the cost of living, the war in Ukraine. You know, it seems to be one thing after another. And, and nobody... Um, can focus on on one problem at a time, and it's 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 an it's an awful thing because we as society deserve better um, from the politicians that we've elected.
1: Well, I'll ask you a question: If we're going to have a revolution, who are we voting against? Because both of our governments, whether it be Stormont or, or Westminster, are rudderless at the minute. You know, and I, <laughs> I, I you know my pol- my politics on this. and You know where I sit on on Stormont. But at the minute, I, I, I'm I'm longing for the return. And, and I know people out there will bulk that because of uh, the Northern Arm protocol, protocol and stuff. Uh, but at the minute, I would like some sort of skeleton staff in there to try and Absolutely. pick our way through this. Is there any other options out there? I mean, I know I know Jake Kane gives off about our politicians on a regular basis, and some of them are truly inept, and some of them bring absolute disgrace to the, the country. But... There's a bunch of good politicians in there and we really need to be finding, finding a way through this. And even if it's just for show and a bit of a placebo for people who are going to be struggling to think that somebody is at the helm for this uh, and trying to pick their way through, we, we can get behind them. mean, COVID was a shit show, but we thought people were in control and we, we gave them our faith. Um, and, and that sort of helped a lot of people galvanise and get through it because they thought somebody was in control. Uh, at the minute, we're, we're on a juggernaut and it's going nowhere.
0: And I've I've just realised now that the person who uh, talked about one shock after another was actually you on on the, uh, the Sunday episode of the um, Echo Chamber yesterday. I so, didn't want to bring uh, it up. High famous, I yes, am, to sage, sage, sage advice, but you know, <laughs> I mean, when I when I talk about revolution, obviously, as you say, I think the best revolution we we can hope for is to get people back in the government. And okay, the protocol is a big thing for people you know, different cultural and identity issues. But at the end of the day, the cost of living and, and that, that that crisis that affects everybody is what needs dealt with. And the best kind of revolution, I'm not advocating anarchy, by the way, just so people know, you know, the best thing is to take take your seats, get down, talk across the table, and no matter what your political background is, come together for the common good of the people here. And I think that leads on nicely to this episode because, you know, one of, one of the politicians I think about um, when when we look at the old Stormont pre nineteen seventy two was Paddy Wilson who was um a senator in in the old Stormont uh, Parliament and he was a founding member of the Social Democratic and Labour Party and uh, election agent of Jerry Fit. Now, um, Paddy Wilson was a you know a nationalist. He he had the political aspirations of of a reunified Ireland, but at the same time he was also a very much a working class politician and he would have stuck up for the the rights and welfare of, of both sides of the community which makes uh, what happened to him um in, in june 1973 all the more tragic and and you know um horrifying really um paddy wilson was um brutally murdered along with his protestant friend arine andrews in june 1973 by the ulster freedom fighters and in this episode the people will be listening to today. We talk to Paul, who's Paddy Wilson's son. Paul talks about growing up as the son of a politician, as the troubles exploded, his experiences of sectarianism, the profound dangers of toxic political rhetoric, both in the past and present, and his hopes for dialogue and reconciliation in a society yet to come to terms with its past. Welcome to the Shrapnel Podcast. I'm Gareth Movena, and my co-host is Sam McElwain. When myself and Sam talked about setting up the podcast as a natural extension and opening of our long conversations about loyalism and unionism, he is a loyalist, and I, as a researcher of loyalism, recognised that there is a need for the voices of victims to be heard. So often we hear of people threatening a return to violence. Violence is a last resort. Oftentimes, these people have little to no memory of the Troubles. The reality is that people suffered and loyalists had a share in causing that suffering. Today, we are joined by Paul Wilson. Paul's father, Patty Wilson, a member of the SDLP, was brutally murdered alongside a female friend, Arin Andrews, in June 1973. The organization responsible for their murders was the UFF, and a member called John White was soon interned and then later sentenced to life imprisonment. Paul's story and that of the ripple effect of sectarian violence is important. It is a critical intervention in the midst of ongoing political rhetoric. So thanks for joining us, Paul. Good, good to You're welcome. See
2: you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I'm fine. But but but, but just before we, we, we start, I'd I just like to say one thing. There's... there's there's thousands and thousands and thousands of stories to be told in in Northern Ireland. So, there's, 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 you know, I I don't want any hierarchy in in, in deaths and, and and suffering just because my father was a senator in, the, in the Parliament and and he was killed. He was he was the same as every other victim in, in Northern Ireland. But I am very pleased to be able to share the story and 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 try and explain how. Sectarianism actually broke a family up, and uh, and the hurt and hardship that went went through with that. So, yeah, I'm I'm pleased to join. Yes,
1: good to hear from you, Paul. I mean, I I agree with what you're saying there, about the hierarchy. But I think what me and Gareth have found is not everybody's willing to come on and speak. Yes. And that's so you're here because you're willing to tell your story, and we want those stories heard. So yes. uh, we're not here to create hierarchy or put one person in front of another. Yes. We are here because we want to hear the stories that those people who yes. want to come forward aren't uncomfortable to come yes. forward and do so. Yes, of course.
0: I think it's you know before we start, you know, it's it's for me, it's a it's a really good sign of how we've progressed as a society, even despite the political rhetoric that you know we're sitting here having this conversation coming from. Um, well, three relatively different backgrounds. Um, you know, Sam's a loyalist. I research loyalism from a Catholic background and you know, like, like yourself, Paul, you're from North Belfast and a Catholic who yeah. suffered during the Troubles. So it's good to have those sort of conversations. But you know, the to, to kick things off really, um, just just tell me what it was like growing up in, in North Belfast in the <laughs> in the in the period before the troubles and, and having a father who was involved in
2: politics. Well, I mean, yes, of course. I mean, wh- wh- where do we start with that one? I think you've got to go back to the fact that that um, uh, when my, when my father was born and when he came through school, the Catholic people were beginning to um, get better educated, get better qualifications, and and they were beginning to push out of the 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 areas where they were supposed to live. So they they were moving out. Like my, my my father was a fully skilled sheet metal worker in shorts. I mean, he had a trade. He had the, he had these great big wooden boxes in the back room. That had the tools in it were amazing to look at. Anyway, so as they branched out, and I, I do suppose at MDES Kilcool Park was a, was a, was a, was a, was a big jump for, for, for these people to jump. And my, my, my dad obviously bought a house in Kilcool Park. My uncle, Eddie, bought a house. He lived about 20 doors away down the street and their sister, my, my, um, my auntie Maureen bought a house in there. Uh, uh, in Roscoe, which is, uh, Duncan Park, sorry, which is two streets away. So so they were beginning to move out. And even though we, we in, the, in the early days, the, the, there was no there, there was no issue as growing up as a child. When you were seven or eight years of age, you didn't understand what was going on. You knew the 12th of July was coming up because there'd be one or two flags in them days. Not many. There was one or two flags coming out. There was no... Um, uh, sectarian and such, on, on the streets with us, eight, nine-year-old kids. You know, I mean, we we just played football together, and, and, we, and we got on with it. Uh, as 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 the troubles began to start in '68, when the civil rights movement first started, that's when that's when pressure came into the house. Um, that's when neighbors became not unfriendly. But but probably slightly distance in public. And and that's not to say, by the way, that, that, that our, our back door didn't knock on occasions during the course of the winter where neighbours needed help. And obviously my dad was there, so so he helped everybody. Nobody ever got turned away. No one. And uh I, 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 and, and then it began to it began to come into the, into the household where, where family arguments and rows would start because obviously there was no social media them then. So uh my dad had to be where he had to be. And so, if if he had a meeting, with fit, or if he had a meeting in the, in the council chambers, which is evening time, I had a meeting in Stormont, whatever it was. not Ordinarily, it was in the evenings. So he was never home. He always he was always coming home late. That, I, I, that used to that used to cause issues. And uh, one day, we, we we got a note through the door to say that uh, we we weren't welcome. So I, I think I'd probably be about eleven or twelve at a time, anyway. So we moved on to uh, the granny's house on Fleet Street. Now, if you thought North Belfast could be a wee bit rough, you ought to be tried growing on Fleet Street when you're 12 years of age. Trust me. And as anybody's aware of Belfast, Nelson Street split the two communities in half anyway. So you had the top half, which was, which was mostly unions and Protestants, and the bottom half, which is mixed, but, but mostly nationals. But it was a tough old place to grow up. And, and after spending a couple of months down there, we, we, we went back home and by this time, um, we were we were basically in trouble back in Kilcoo Park. The demographics had changed; people were moving around Belfast, and we had we had new neighbours that were moving in. And uh, the new neighbours obviously uh, went through hard times. They had to move out of their houses. They had they had feelings, and uh, and of course we were well, my father in particular was a sort of an easy target then. So uh, I don't know an example. I'd be, I'd be 12, we're, we're walking down the street to the shop. We were actually getting some sweets and stuff for the, for the FA Cup final, I believe. And there was a, a, a new neighbours moved in. They were building a garage. It had some builders down there. Now, when my, my dad and I used to climb over the field. This is terrible, by the way. used to climb over the fence in the in the, the boys' model playground, uh, particularly on a Sunday because it's basically the only time he even sort of home. Now, all my Protestant friends, and there was many, Alan Midgley, McCracken, uh Alan Taggart, Linda Gordon. There was just so many Protestant friends I used to play with, and obviously they they went to church uh, on a, on a Sunday, and then they went to went to um, a Sunday school afterwards. Whereas us like Catholics, we just popped in the mass and did what we did, and uh, it's a sports day for you know the GAA etc. So my dad and I would be out playing football or something, and the and the, the boys model playing with the water, and occasionally occasionally. Very rarely, but occasionally, I do remember we had a a couple of hurleys and we had a bit of a with a tennis ball. <laughs> I'm not sure that went down too well, but uh, the neighbours looking the over the fence into the, the boys' model on a Sunday afternoon, and we were having a crack with a couple of hurleys. But, but my dad was a sort of person where, where discipline was discipline was everything. But in the house, it was everything, and to, to tell him a lie was, was was one thing that, that you didn't do. And, uh, and and one day I I am at school, and he, he found out I'm at school. The pressure was beginning to tell in the house, Gareth, and it was yeah. there was there was there was no there was no escape for me. There was nowhere to go. So I, I lived with the pressure overnight. I could see the hassle that was coming. I could see the the phone calls that were coming in that that, that, that were that were threatening. Uh, I could see the the nonsense that, that he had to go through. Some of it on the news. So I decided not to go to school one day. Uh, anyway, he, he caught me, and he got my my diary. Oh, I'd be twelve, I think. And the, the the and forgive me here, but it's the, the only entry I had in my diary happened to be on the twelfth of July, and I had written in it whether it be I knew what I was writing, whether I didn't. But well, anyway, I'd written in it on the twelfth of July. Orange basses. That's mm-hmm. what I'd written in it. So. My dad caught me Mitch in school and then he decided to have an investigation into my life. So he started searching for things. He said, Well, what the hell is this? What have you been getting up to? What is this? What's happening? He found a diary and he, he seen the page and he opened the page and he, he, he absolutely disgusted. He, he ripped the page out. Now, in them days, there was no such thing as, as passive resistance. You know, you weren't told to, you're not getting any jujubes for two weeks and, and stay off the iPad or the iPlayer or the, whatever it may be you were playing on. You got to dig. And that's the way it was in them days. Well, I got a fair dig, trust me. And like my dad put me straight on on numerous numerous things, and he, he wasn't too happy. And from that day on, I, I I learned I learned my lessons. And my my Protestant friends in Kilcull Park, we all the loop stuck together during the beginning of the troubles. There was no there was no break up. Certain little tensions were there, but there was no there was no break up. Uh, me and my friend Drew Gilmore, we taught. Uh, a couple of the guys in the street, um, I forget the it, Taggart. We taught them how to play Gaelic football. They wanted to learn how to play Gaelic football, so we taught them. We played between two two uh, curbs and two two on, on, on the street, and, and to my absolute embarrassment, they, they, they beat us. Uh, I was totally. <laughs> I've certainly got it. <laughs> By the way, when they invited me to the boys' model to play to try a game of rugby with them, I, I, I didn't win that one, but I got <laughs> I, I I certainly knew what a tackle was. But uh, yeah, as and, and things grew up and, and outsiders come into the area and people travel from Silverstream and Tyndale across the Kilkut Park to play football, then the division started. And my Protestant friends then were put under put under pressure, basically, because... They were getting people from outside that were coming in with this new ideas, new feelings. Um, I managed to stay in the loop uh, till I was about 13. I was a reasonable little footballer pretty fast, which made me even faster because you hung around with a ball too much and you get tackled. You, 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 you knew you could hit. There was no referee to give a red card out in them days. And uh, and, and we carried on and as, as things go. The Troubles hit home when Drew Gilmore... My 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 best friend in, in 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 Belfast, Drew lived in an extreme, and Drew and I were, were great mates. And uh, um, we used to hang about together, play together, played football together. We we, we done everything together. And we even we even painted the priest's cars. The priest had a had a had a Volkswagen. And we got some white paint from the VG stores. And we thought it didn't look enough like the love bug. You know, the don't know you remember the movie, the love bug. Yeah. So we decided <laughs> to, to paint the priest's tards on the outside white to make it look like a love bug. Now, he kicked off a massively bloody Sunday about this thing. But anyway, we, we, we got away. But so Drew and I then done things together. We had our first cigarette together when we were probably 12. Um, and we, we actually had our first beer together. I think it was probably in the... Uh, and uh, as Kelly Sellers, where everybody used to go and sneak a beer when you were 14. Anyway, so Drew's brother Seamus was, uh, uh, worked in a garage on, on the Ballysoon Road. And things were getting bad at the time. And I, I remember a conversation where people were saying, you know, don't go to work. Seamus, don't do this, Seamus. And anyway, but Seamus loved his cars and he, he drove a little uh, mini, big uh, aerial on it. And he used to drive me and Drew to the football down, watch Crusaders sometimes and the away games at Ard's. So Seamus went to work on on that Sunday and and Drew and I were playing our football, waiting on Sunday dinner. He was having his dinner in our house. And and all of a sudden, the door knocked and uh, Seamus was shot in the garage. And uh, Drew was with me in the house that day and it was absolutely devastating, absolutely horrible. Anyway, so as things happened, Drew had to stay with us because obviously his family was in turmoil. Mm So the day, I think, a couple of days previous, my dad caught me having a cigarette, and he like he gave me another date, of course. <clears throat> but that night, Drew was sleeping over, but Dad opened the bedroom door, right? And he dropped in ten cigarettes. Uh, so I get, <laughs> I get hammered one day, and I get to smoke the next day. So anyway, <clears throat> Drew and I are having a smoke, and we're sitting having a chat about how things is going to be okay, how things going to be, and uh, and of course these things happen. And the next morning, the, the door knocked again, and. A next door neighbor who absolutely couldn't speak loud enough, managed to speak loud enough that Drew and I were upstairs and we heard that uh, Seamus had died. So that was the first time we, we come across the troubles. The, the, the second time was we're walking home from school with our, our friends and me, Drew and a guy called Seamus Hurley. Um, they went to party lodge, I went to Geek. Anyway, we're walking home from school. And just as we turned up uh, towards Roscoe Park, his sister ran towards us. And his father was uh, early, the the policeman. It was the first policeman killed in the Old Park Road. Uh, And and he was killed in the... So, again, we were so young and in the troubles, but straight away we were hit by, (coughs) excuse me, we were hit by both sides of the spectrum. And uh, anyway, as, as things went on, uh, things got a bit out of hand at home, pressure was building, fit was getting elected. My dad came under even more and more pressure. And, okay, uh, sorry, we were,
0: so, sorry, Paul, can you talk a wee bit about that for people who might not know? You know, your dad, um, was involved in the in the finding of the SDLP,
2: yes, Jerry my, 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 fit, my, 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 yeah, yes, Jerry Fitt well, was a close I'm,
0: friend, yeah, yeah,
2: well, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll go to that one. I, I I done a a, a podcast through probably through, through, the fifth anniversary of my dad, Noreen and Andrews, uh, getting killed. I, I done it with uh, uh, Claire Hannah, her dad, and and, and several others the Youth Wing. But but Claire Hannah's dad was around when, when the SLP was formed, and I heard uh, stories from the horse's mouth that, that I I didn't know. I had no idea. So when he started explaining to me that the SLP, of course, was put together by by, by six seven individuals. There were there were strands. There were different strands. And apparently, according to, according to Claire's dad, my, my, my dad went in, and, and he happened to be the cement that pulled them together. He put organizational structures in place, apparently, which I, I didn't know. I was too young. He put organizational structures in place that, 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 that pulled them together. There were still divisions within the SNP, There always was. There was always a, a greener than green side that, 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 that belonged to West Belfast, and there was always fit and my dad who were more um, social labour minded rather than rather than nationalistic minded. But, but, but anyway. And and there was almost, there was a story in there as well when when a term first started uh, they brought it in the, the only people could get information apparently uh, about people getting arrested and lifted was 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 elected representatives they were the pass information on to, to the to the families so my dad and Paddy Devlin of all people they they, they spent four nights um, I always thought my dad was locked up in the in the curfew in the Falls Road I, I didn't think he could get out but but they were locked up for four nights in the in the offices of the SLP just gaining information of people who were. Who were, or who were arrested at the time. But my, my dad bumped into fit. He stood against him in an election back in, uh, now, forgive me for the years, and I don't tie me down anybody that's watching this. anymore. <laughs> okay. So, uh, But 66, I think. They stood against him in an election, and, and, and he lost. But they became best friends. And, uh, and then my, my dad and him joined, of all parties, the Republican Labour Party. I, I still haven't bottomed that one out yet, but, but but whatever, but they joined. And then... Um, they broke away to, to, to form the SDLP. But in 1967, 66, 67, Fitt got elected to West Belfast. And that was a major, major thing for for, 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 me, for my dad, for the family, for, for everybody in Northern Irish politics to have a, a nationalist, uh, a Republican, as it was in MDS, um, person elected to become a member of parliament. And, and I remember my dad used to be under the, the victory parade and on the, on the back of the, a big flat back trailer, and, and I'm actually, God forbid, back in end, I'm actually, I'm actually sat there, and I've got a little tricolour, and we're waving a tricolour. We go along uh Peter's Hill, Milford Way, and the crowd have all linked orange behind, and they're all singing, he's got the shankle Road in his hands, and, and he couldn't get elected without the vote of the Shankill Road. That's that's the iron of the whole bloody thing, and and so so it was a big thing for him to get elected. It, it was, it was a huge thing. Uh, now people can argue to the bones about after watching this about what may or may not have happened after he got elected and so forth. That's a different argument. I'm talking about back in the 60s when when, when fit was um, um, a social democrat that he cared more about people that, uh, uh, like an outside toilet on the on the, on the Shankill Road, which is the same as an outside toilet on the Falls Road. There was no difference, no difference to him. Certainly no difference to my father. None, none whatsoever. None. There was no sectarian blood in our family whatsoever. My my Aunt Jean married a Protestant man, and she decided to live in Tyndale. My Auntie Frances married a Protestant man and decided to live in, in Roscoe Park. Not one was an issue in our family at all. Not, Never, ever, ever did it become a problem, did it become a discussion point, did it become a bottleneck for anything whatsoever. I, I used to remember go up to Tyndale to visit my, uh, uh, my Auntie Jean. and I, I've got a paper cutting that, that I didn't bring with me, actually. There used to be a great big wall down the middle of Tyndale um, across some green field or somewhere, it was blocking everybody's access to get us. And, and my dad decided to take it to the council. He got it demolished. So, you know, <laughs> the Republican Labour Council went to Tyndale and, you know, and, and, and done stuff. And, uh, but like I say, and, 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 Fit put all sorts of, not him in particular, but the, the momentum of, of the politics. But Fit put all, and you must pressure our family because it was, my dad was a, is, is election agent. And obviously, he, he worked extremely hard. And, and by the way, my my, I say this, I say it with tongue in cheek, by the way, but it's but it's actually true. I remember in the old days, obviously no no computers. My mum used to put together all the electoral list on big boards of cardboard, so they could tick off who was alive, who was dead, who was this and, so. and And I swear to God, my granny had died seven years earlier, but her vote still counted for numbers. <laughs> I'm 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 absolutely certain of it. And end I mean, I don't think much has changed, has it? but but anyway. But, uh, so and, and they used to have to tick off who they spoke to and, and organize transport to get people out and about to, to vote for them. And then, like I say, Fit was uh, at one stage he wanted to stand for the the, the new Stormont, and um, and he stood for North Belfast, actually. So on the Sunday, we're, we're outside um, Little Flower, uh, three days, four days before we actually get buried there, but we're outside Little Flower and we're, we're actually handing out leaflets for Jerry Fit me my dad Fit himself and this uh, was, it,
0: was this in 1973 Paul just for people N- this would,
2: this would be yes before my dad died it yeah. would be 73 just before the elections yeah that was due yeah and uh, so we're handing out leaflets uh, <laughs> and um, we went in the mass of course and, and, and during the uh, during the sermon the priest interrupted the sermon uh, to give us a little you know you've been there you know what it's like So, so he decided to give his opinion on politicians handing out leaflets outside a Catholic church on a Sunday. Now you have to forgive me here because I'm going to swear. So hand out leaflets outside, hand out leaflets outside his Catholic church. And he's, he's laying into us like, and fit. If anybody ever knew him, fit's, Fitz whisper was like an elephant's roar. He couldn't (laughs) whisper. And, and all of a sudden we sat and he liked to swear. And all of a sudden, we sat there, and he's listening to his priest giving them all sorts of grief. And he turned around and says, oh, "Fucker, support your lions!" <laughs> and, and and this one, this, the people were in earshot. Like when they in the shop, they could hear everything. No, it was absolutely. And anyway, afterwards, we 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 went we went out. Dad, Dad dropped me off home, and uh, and that was it. I I I I, I never seen him again. Um, yeah, that's that's a story. My goodness. But but yeah, sorry, Gareth.
0: No, that's okay. I mean, so I mean, w- what I'm detecting, and we've talked about this before. Those years leading up to your father's murder it seemed to be there was a de- decline, basically, in relations with with the people who moved into Kilkul, yes. who had different political ideas to the Protestant yes. neighbours that you had. Yes, and obviously they saw your father as, you know. Not the him as a Republican, probably, or part of the pan-nationalist front that you hear so often?
2: Well, we, like yeah. I say, I, I didn't finish that other But We, we were down yeah. the street during the, 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 the garage, and these three builders come out and stood in front of us, and, and and I'm 12 or 13. I'm son with my dad. And they blocked their way by Kilkeye Park. He couldn't get past. They spat on him, spat on his shoes. They called them all sorts of Fenian bastards, I call them absolutely everything under the sun, uh, and I'm 13. and I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, you know, you need to be hitting one of these guys. That you know, you just can't be standing there putting up with this crap. Anyway, what could he do? He yeah, absolutely nothing. He had to put up with the abuse. He uh I was in, at 13 years of age. I, I didn't want to do myself. I was. I was totally. It was. Just, it was something that stuck with me all, all, all my life. You know, to show some of that. The disrespect to somebody because of their religion like that was just quite incredible, really. And, and, and there were people who actually didn't know anything about him. They had no bloody yeah. idea that he helped all the neighbours around if He'd done what he had to do to help anybody. Religion didn't matter in our family one bit. It was quite quite incredible, really. It was uh, it was it was strange to watch, but it happened.
0: Uh, well, thinking you know, uh, June seventy three. I mean, what are your memories? I'm sure they're very vivid still. But what are your memories of of, of your father's murder and, and that period of time in the family and, and how how it affected your mother and, and the rest mm. of your family?
2: Oh, my goodness me. There's a story in a bit. Right. Well, like I say, I seen my dad for the last time that, that Sunday. And if we get through this without getting emotional, it'll be quite good.
0: T- just take your time, Paul.
2: So, um, mm. yeah. So I'm, there's things in this life that you remember very vividly, little things, like, the police knocked the door on the Monday night. I don't know what time it would be. I was in bed. My mother called me downstairs. The police wanted to do the registration on my dad's car. Little red mini. COI 2283. I had to tell the police. She didn't know what it was. I, I've stuck with me on I can't even, my granddaughter's birthdays. I don't know. My wife has to tell me when it's somebody's birthday. But that number, number sticks in me always. Anyway, so during the course of the evening, we got, my dad was missing. Apparently, as it transpired and, and, and facts came out, we, we, we know about it. The police had actually found the body. They were just confirming that he wasn't home. But they couldn't go near it until daylight in case him and Ari and Anders were booby trapped, whatever the case may be. And uh, my Uncle Eddie was called upon to, uh, to to identify the bodies and so forth. But, but anyway, the police came back at them, um, oh, I don't know, it was daylight, half past four, five o'clock in the morning. And they told me to run upstairs, and I, I, I ran upstairs, and then I could hear the roar. Serious. This woman collapsed. She went to bits. Yeah, she, 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 absolutely went to bits. There's no way this lady could handle what was happening in her life. She just couldn't handle it. was she, she finished. Anyway, we go through the next. Uh, well, now there's another story needs to be told. So the house starts getting packed. People are coming in, the news has started to break. Family managed to contact family, except my Uncle Nat, who lived in Derry, who lived in Ardmore, Nobody could contact him, so unfortunately, he switched the news on in the morning, so he got on BBC News something. So as the house is getting packed, my Uncle Eddie decides, come on, Paul, I'm gonna take you down the street. Let's let's get down to, to, to the house. So as we go out to walk down the street, the Protestant guys from from uh deal and Silverstream come over to play a bit of football at nine o'clock, half time, as well as come over to view the house and whatever. So, as we're walking down the street, you can see me between the houses um, and through the fences, and they all started singing to me, Where's your papa gone? Mm. You don't even be dead for hours. Where's your papa gone? Uh, That was. Even now, it's, it's scary stuff to think about. I mean, that was, who would do that? You know what I mean? Okay, kids are kids. I, I, looking back on it, kids are kids. However, who would do that? Anyway, we went down to my, uh, Uncle Eddie's house. And the three days waiting, we didn't bring the body home. The body was, was we, we couldn't bring it home. So the body was down okay in O'Keehan's funeral parlor. My, some bright spark decided, you know, I had to go down and see my dad. Now, as, as years went on, as as my family passed away, my mother, etc., etc., I gave my, grand, my, my my children the option. Did they want to remember their, their, their grandmother alive or did they want to go and say goodbye? Each and every time, thankfully, they said, we'll remember alive. So I was taken down to go and see my father. And uh, they'd done their best, of course. What could you do? But it wasn't nice. And then somebody, and I don't remember who it was, Within the funeral parlour, had just pulled the top of the, the shroud back a little bit, just have a look, and said, "Oh look, he's had a throat cut." My, don't ask me seriously. Don't ask me. I, I've got I've got no idea who or why or anybody. But, but these things just stick in your mind. And. Yeah. once we, I'll, I'll come on to Ariane Andrews shortly because we must include R.N. Andrews in this because a poor girl it had absolutely nothing to do with, with, with politics. Anyway, so we, we, we managed to get through to the, uh, the funeral, but it's time. My mother's lost it. My granny's lost it. We're sitting in the car going to the, going to the funeral the morning, and my granny breaks the silence by saying, who's getting married? Where were we going? Well, who's, what, are we weren't even going to. She, she had no idea. And she's called... My dad was called Patsy, but in her family. So once we explained what was happening, we are going to Patsy's funeral. She just couldn't comprehend that her youngest son had died. So, anyway, so we do the funeral. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, we we'll do the funeral. Yeah. We we'll do the funeral and everything's... I managed to hold myself together. The, 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 obviously, it's packed. There's politicians there. I don't know who they were. I, I know... The infamous politicians or the famous politicians from, from the loyal side didn't come. Uh, Peters and the rest of them didn't come, but uh, but but others were there. And I always remember that the, the schools in my dad's uh, ward had sent down a pupil and teachers from each sort of school, which is quite nice. So as we're carrying the coffin out, I, I'm started to cry. Out. So my uncle Eddie, who was, had all the weight, of course, in the shoulder, I remember this, and for some reason his wrist was quite flexible. And he gave me such a punch in the ear the other side of the coffin because I was losing it. And he slapped me so hard. And the clearance says, grip, get a grip. So, and so we did, and I was fine. Until we got to the graveyard. Now, as we got to the graveyard, we, we, we turned onto the Falls Road. We walked down the little floor as you do, you carry the coffin. We got on to Fort William Road and we, we, we drove to the uh, uh Peters Hill. We, we carried the coffin across Peters Hill. And then we couldn't drive up the Falls Road the Mill time. The place was packed. People were standing on the sides of the road. And uh, more out of curiosity, anyway. But anyway, there was this on the side. with Fit did, what Fit does. He's a politician, so he's walking on the pavement, talking to people, shaking her hand. And I'm walking behind the, uh, behind, the hearse, behind the hearse. Anyway, we get to the graveyard, and I'm fine. There's no issues. And then it comes time to throw them stones. You know, on top of the coffin. Yeah. yeah finished finished I have never ever set foot in Milton cemetery since that day never I've been to Belfast on numerous occasions other members of the family have taken care of the grave they've done what they had to do never set foot in the place ever go uh, near. that just finished me off so yeah so we, we had a we had a difficult time now you want to talk about what happened afterwards there you go, so this is the consequences of people's actions. Yes, they killed the man who made absolutely not one blind bit of difference to the future direction that Northern Ireland was going to go. Not one blind bit of difference to the loyalist cause or not one blind bit of difference. All it done was stop people that he helped being helped. It done nothing else. It killed a young lady, Arne Andrews. Now, my uncle Eddie and Fit decided that We should go to Aaron Andrews' funeral, rightly or wrongly at the time. In retrospect, it was probably the wrong thing to do. However, we we went to Aaron Andrews' funeral in the Cumberland Road. Now, Aaron Andrews' family were too shocked, too polite, too nice to say anything as we gatecrashed their funeral. And we went into the funeral. And I seen Aaron Andrews' line. I didn't know Aaron Andrews at all, of course. So I seen her line in the... In the coffin, and the white dress, like getting married, I mean, looked absolutely stunning. But, but anyway, as we were leaving, and the, the, the people who congregated outside the church weren't as weren't as kind or friendly as, as our family were, were, shocked, and they began to tell Finn exactly what they thought. And then it was time, basically, to get offside. Now, I've regretted that day ever since. We should never have been there. It, 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 we just shouldn't have been there. It was, it was the wrong thing to do. It wasn't. It was just the wrong thing to do. We, anyway, we did it, and 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 and, and live with me forever the consequences of that. And and I, I know my dad was named Senator Putty Wilson, and, and that's all you basically read about. But but please, people are, are going to Google this afterwards and have a look into it and see who was who was what who was a, Aaron Andrews, Vincent and girl that suffered the most horrendous horrible death. By 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 people who, oh, you know, I I'm not even sure I could categorize them as sectarian. I mean, I, you'd have to put them down as just just evil. That is quite honestly, because you can't you can't kill people like that. It? It's, it's, it's it's impossible. You, you like there's people from all sides over over in, in Northern Ireland that, that planted bombs and ran off. People planted bombs and watched them go off. People. People walked in behind somebody in the street and shot them in the back of the head in front of their, in front of their, 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 their wives and children and, and shot their sisters. People knocked people front doors and, and shot them at close range. There, there's nothing was, well, what, what was going What, where do we get to? Well, I mean, when you look at the, the crack and the nonsense that's happening over there at the minute, which is one of the reasons why you and I be talking over the last while that we wanted to, to, just, 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 just get this on board. So, so people understand that. The rhetoric and the words that they speak have actions. And back in those days, but going back to the sixties, um, I'm sorry for flip backwards forward here. But no, back I'm to just the 60s.
0: just just one second, Paul. I'm just thinking. Uh, I don't want to cut you off, but you know, after your father's uh, murder and the murder of Aaron Andrews by yeah. the UFF, what we're trying to demonstrate here, particularly given the current political environment in Northern Ireland, that these actions do have consequences. On, on on the family of of the people who are you know the people who are left behind ultimately. So, yeah, can you talk a bit about that, Paul, and your your memories and experiences.
2: All right, okay, well, so so okay. The funerals the funerals over, oh, we're, we're, we're back home, of course, and the, the, the house as you can imagine after every funeral, it's chaotic, it's chaos, and uh, the house is packed and all the rest of it. So, I stayed in Jerusalem for a couple of days, but but after that, I come back home, but this time, of course. Doctors have been, and everybody's been, and and and, and everybody's drinking. My mum started drinking uh, excessively, and uh, the doctors have handed out prescription pills. In those days, painkillers, sleeping pills, antidepressants, whatever, whatever they were. I don't know what they were, but my mum went into a spiral that... Um, uh, he, well, it's probably stayed with her till, till 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 the day she died. She she she, she started drinking excessively. Um, so when everybody went, I, I could hear. Oh me uh, I, My mum went to bed one night, and I could hear her talking to somebody. I, I honestly thought she was saying her prayers. And I, I opened the bedroom door, and she was lying there. Obviously, she had too much to drink, and obviously the pills had kicked her. And she was lying there having a conversation with my dad. And they were sitting talking and heartbreaking stuff. Anyway, I realized, even at that young age, that there was a serious problem arising here. Uh, I needed help. I did. Um, I went to my Auntie Margaret and told her what was happening. So she came up to the house. And every time my mum got a new prescription, uh, which is regular, uh, my Auntie Margaret or my, somebody would come and, and take my mum out shopping. And my Auntie Margaret might sit and open. Right, medically-wise, right or wrong, I have no idea. But but the reasons were the correct ones. We opened every single red and yellow, and blue and brown capsule in every bottle, and we emptied everything out of it, and we filled them up with salt and sugar. I put the capsules back together and put them back in the bottle. Now, it probably didn't, obviously, ease or pain or, or help or medical condition, whatever the doctor said, but... I knew then that she wasn't going to take an overdose and kill herself. And this carried on for quite a while. Eventually, she decided to kill Cool part, wasn't it? She couldn't take it anymore. And, and who can blame her? So we moved house. And we moved down towards where my mom's family came from. My, my granny lived in York Lane, a little lane at the back of St. Patrick's. It was a two up, two down. You had to actually duck to get in the front door, and you had to duck to get into the bedroom doors upstairs. With that small. However, even in a small house, I had a bloody piano. Well, my aunt used to be able to play the piano. Uh, if you sat too close, if you if your ass sat out too far from the piano, it got burnt in the fire. It was that close to the fireplace. Anyway, a happy little house it was, by the way. But but how they brought up seven kids in there, I've got no idea. But so we moved down there. And all of a sudden, I've gone from a reasonably nice house. There were two up, two down, tin bath where we had to, to get hot water, enough hot water in the bath. He had to switch his twin tub washing machine on to decant the water into a tin bath, to have a tin bath and use the outside toilet. Now, outside toilets were strange because both grannies had outside toilets and why they made them in them. with a hole so big. You'd you fall down it if you were, I mean, they were huge. You had to hold on for grim death when you're a nipper having a, anyway. So that was, it was different. Things deteriorated rapidly between my mother and I there was no parental control in the family, none. I did what I wanted, how I wanted, and when I wanted, and nobody was telling me any other way, nobody. She came up to me one morning, I'd be 14, but at that time I'm smoking <laughs> in the house. She says, time for school. I reached across the bedroom of the bed, I picked the cigarette out I lit it. and said, that's me, done, I ain't going anywhere. And all hell broke loose, as you would expect. But there was no control in the family. There there's there was nothing. I did what I wanted. I think the, the the push come to shove was when I moved down there to that area, then I, I started getting new new information, new friends, seeing how people lived in a different lifestyle to, to what I was used to. Uh, which was which is a bit of a shock actually. But 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 yeah, so I understood. However, one day I was up with my friend. And uh, we were stopped by the Army Patrol on Donegal Street. And uh, funny enough, the guy stopped me, the soldier, was talking about football. And I thought everything was all right. And heard on his radio said, a uh, little thing on his shoulder said, wheels on the way. So, so, And I think this is what pushed my mother over the edge. They're taking me out of the country. So we got arrested. And, and the two girls we were with they, they took to, ran down the house to tell my mom. My mom rang fit. Jerry fit rang up. General Montgomery, whoever it was, I don't know hell it was. But he, he rang up somebody to say what Paul Wilson's been. In the meantime, obviously the guys on the ground <laughs> down at is it where was it? It was a big uh, barracks and in, in, used to be a hotel in, in Royal Avenue. Uh, Royal Avenue, the Royal Avenue Hotel. Aye. Yeah, yeah. Aye, so so that was a big barracks. So anyway, they took took, took 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 me in there. And I always remember this guy calls me. The first thing I did is when they arrested me, was brought me in, and, and I remember signing this piece of paper. And I, I don't know what it said, the small writing, but 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 I remember reading release on the top of it. So I'm assuming I signed something that said I've been released without any harm or whatever. Anyway, so they went into the room, they pushed me around a little bit, like you do. Uh, Word filtered through somehow, I fit got in touch with whoever he needed to, and, and and obviously it was it was time to go. Um. When I got home, my mother obviously seen the worst side of everything. Uh, all hell of loose <laughs> as you would expect. Uh, and she made the biggest decision of her life. She says, Paul, we're going on holiday to over to Leicester because we got my, my dad's apprentice, mate. Um, I forget his name now, but he came across at a funeral. My dad done his apprenticeship with uh, Barney Dockery. That's who it was, Barney Dockery. And uh, he said, look, anytime you want to come over to England, let me know. Come over. So... Mum says we're going, so obviously there's another row. I said, I'm not going over to F in England and blah, 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 blah. But then I'm lying in bed and I realise that all this anger and fighting, and and my mother's still got the same problem, and I'm still filling the same pills with sugar and salt, and my auntie is still filling the same pills, and and nothing's changing. Nothing's changing. And even at that age, and being a rebel and being – so mad and angry with the world, I, I knew that something had to, something had to move here. Yeah. So anyway, we came across England and uh, we landed in, in the airport. It's, we actually called East Midlands. I, I couldn't even pronounce Loughborough. I thought it was Lochborough, like, you know, Loch Loch. Loch anyway, so the soldier stopped at the airport and said, where are you going? I said, And he, he looked at me like a, I was a, an alien or something. And, uh, and anyway, out the corner of my eye, the soldier approached me. And I thought, oh, God, what's, what's happened now? You know what I mean? Because anyway, he, he came over to me says, uh, hello, Paul. And I thought, <laughs> whatever. never, never and, a good saying, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I look around and, and my cousins in Derry, I, you know, two of them had, had actually joined the army. And uh, and it was him. And he's standing there, you know, how are you doing, all the rest of it. And, you know, he'd been to my dad's funeral as well. And it's such a mixture of a family that, that you know to, to, to be killed in a, in a sectarian sort of manner because of you, you're, you're a Catholic, mm-hmm. in my viewpoint from the time. But having a family that's so diverse uh, and so anti sectarianism, it, it defeats the object of the whole the whole exercise of what the UVF and John Moore actually did. I've got no idea. But anyway, so we landed up we landed in England. And a week after we came, I thought we came for two days uh, – two weeks, sorry. And the and mum disappeared one morning. I said, well, well, she's had to go back to Belfast. It's a legal requirement or something. But. So um, uh, fair enough. So she came back as normal, met her at the airport, and she says, we're never going back. Well, obviously, I went absolutely nuts. And she, what she did when she was over, she, she closed up shop, absolutely closed down everything, nothing left. The house that we had from the Hygiene Association – She got a knock on the door and she was told that the keys needed to be handed. It wasn't the House Association, by the way, it knocked the door. It was other people within the community said, we need the keys of the house before you go. Because apparently that was a thing in them days. You pass the house over to somebody who you were told to. So opposite, she went across, A Story has it, so she told me, and she gave the keys to, there was about six gypsy caravans opposite. So instead of giving the keys away to para or whatever, she, she went across and gave the keys to the gypsies and said, there's a house over there, what do you want with it? And she got in a taxi and drove off. So we ended up in, in, in England. We managed to get a, a council, of course, give us a, a nice flat, beautiful flat, only like two stories. It was a beautiful flat, a little village in, in Leicestershire. And then I began to realise, well, okay, it's peaceful, it's calm. I'm still filling the same pools. I'm still carrying my mother into bed. I'm still taking cigarettes out of her fingers so she doesn't burn them. And I've got nobody. I'm on my own now. So what do we do? So anyway, I dragged on for a couple of years and I said, I can't do this anymore. In the the meantime, in all honesty, my mother had met uh, uh, a man from Leicester who, 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 over the years, it turned out to be a, a partnership of convenience rather than rather than anything else. But 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 they were partners. There's, there's there's no question about that. And 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 it probably helped it through life. But I seen that as my get out clause. I seen that as I need the escape now. It's time for me to go. I can't do any more here. And uh so what did I do? I went into Loughborough. I went to, I was 15 now, 15 and a half. So I just reached the legal requirement. I didn't know where to escape to. I had no idea what to do. I was, I was in free fall. Trust me, I was in free fall. And it's not to say that my mother's drink at the time didn't come close to my lips occasionally. And I was 50, but it did. But I knew I had to do something. I was in same serious day. I knew. So God forgive me. I went and I went to the recruitment office in, In Loughborough and I joined what was called the boys army. I joined the junior leaders regiment, role engineers at 15 and a half. I got my picture in the paper because I got three pound first pay. But, but I went somewhere that, and I was only there five months because I had an option to leave, which I took immediately because I realized at the time it was the wrong decision, the wrong place, wrong thing to do. But, but it give me, it give me four square meals. It give me peace. It'd give me somewhere to sleep. It'd give me friends. it give me sport that could play. Give me, give me all sorts. give me stuff. But I knew deep down that, quite frankly, it, it, this was wrong. It wasn't me. It wasn't what I wanted to do. It was wrong. It was the wrong decision to take. Other people make it for right. Well, oh, that was the wrong decision. So why? I took the option. Of course, I left. I jumped in a boat. I went back to Belfast and I knocked me the Sheila's door on the Anton Road. And I said, I need somewhere to stay. I and mean, Sheila had five children. And she took me in and she gave me a bed. And I had peace and quiet. And I had a comfortable home. Um, great cousins who I always had a close relationship with. Uh, and and, I, and I was, it was, life was great. And, and it was the summer of 67, uh, 76 at that time, which is absolutely red hot summer. And we all used to congregate in um, Alexander Park Avenue and play tennis. So we're like all playing tennis and, and, and everybody's having a good time and uh, okay it's a horrible time. Well, she lived in the Anton Road. It was it was called Murder Mile around Carlisle Circus and all the rest of it. And, and, but, but 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 you didn't realize my my, my cousins were part of the uh, uh, they were Girl Guides and 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 the Scouts and stuff. And, and they said, why did you come down? So we're down one night. Uh, I joined St Patrick's Street, St Patrick's went St Patrick's Church on Donegal Street, and by the way. Over the years, St Patrick's Church has been a been a been a family home. I've been, I've been christened there, baptized there, confirmed there, married there, uh, and I joined the scouts there. So, so anyway, while I joined the scouts, I see this little mad, crazy girl running around with a pair of wellies on, and uh, she said to me, "I said, do you do you fancy get out?'" Like so, so she said, "Yeah." So we ended up going to, uh, uh, we were on camp with the kids. And we went to this restaurant. I don't know where we were, I don't know which village we were in, but we we're kind of so so she says, Well, we'll go for something to eat. We were 17, 16, actually, just coming on 17. And she says, uh, God, I hope they don't give me peas, Paul. I said, Why something we have peas? She says every time we get peas, we spill them. I said, What's well, sure. Don't be silly. So, anyway, we went to get a meal and we ordered the trout. And the trout came of course with potatoes and peas. So as soon as she put her knife into the dinner, the freaking peas went everywhere. They're, they're all over the table. And bless her. Instead of being like delicate about it as you get older, you know, you just treat these things as an accident. You just starts to try and brush them under a plate and pick them <laughs> up. You know. Anyway, we ended up getting married and we, we, we were married 45 years, but, but we decided when we went away, we went, we went training <clears throat> down to Bangor and we had a hotel, obviously different rooms, of course. You know. So I said there one night, I said, I fancy getting married, right? 17. <laughs> seventeen, but I probably had a couple of pints of harp, you know what I, mean? I said you fancy get, you fancy getting married? She says, ring me in the morning because I think you've had a, you think you've been, you've had a beer or Anyway, so seven o'clock in the morning, it went so I, I rang the number directly to room. I said, well, do you still fancy getting married? And she went, and said yes. So, said, what have I done? Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, we went back home and told the family. So I had to get an engagement ring first of all. So. We went to Joe Cavanagh's. I don't suppose anybody remembers that down at Smithfield Market. Yeah, Is still it? there. Yeah. <laughs> well, they went to Joe Cavanagh's and we picked out this uh, garnet ring thing, and it was six quid. only had a fiver, and he, he didn't want to budge. So we went back up to Mary's house and we rifled through her mum's cigarette coupon collection. We managed to get 200 cigarette coupons. So Joe Cameron has given us a ring for a five-pound cash and 200 embassy cigarette could <laughs> 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 So we told, we told everybody we're going to get married. And uh, goodness me, I had, had to ask Jerry, Mary's dad, because that's the thing he did in them days. Can we get married? Like, and Mary's dad just lost his job and all the rest of it. And, and basically, they were struggling. So all the family are in the kitchen and they're all listening and they're all got their ears to the door. So I'm sitting in there waiting to talk to Jerry. And, he, and Jerry didn't like to speak to anybody Monday to Friday. And, and uh, sorry, Monday to Thursday. And on Friday and Saturday he was drunk. So it was difficult to get a word in. So yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he's reading the newspaper. Well, I don't think he ever read it. I think he just wanted so he didn't want to speak to anybody, the telegraph. So he's got this LP running. So if I write the end of the next single, I'm gonna ask him. So after about five singles, assignment. <laughs> <a side laughs> Jerry, I need to speak to you, please. He said, Yeah, what is it? I said, I want to marry your daughter. Now, he folded his paper up as neatly and as politely as you could expect from any posh gentleman in the world, put it down, looked at me straight in the eye, and he says, Well, oh, what prospects have you for me? <laughs> he just went off his job, for Christ's Anyway, with a, with a straight face. So well, we decided, OK, we'll get married. Parents had to sign the forms. Why? Parents would do. It. If my daughter had to come in to me at seventeen and, a half and said, "Dad, I get married. Can you sign that form for me?" I probably would have passive aggression would have went out the window again. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, uh, they, they, they signed the forms. Why would you do that? But they did. They said they, they, I, I, they said oh, we get married in St Patrick's, and and, uh, and obviously I didn't get married, my mum came back for the, the and, and the, the, we I got six hundred pounds from the courts and all that when my father died. I, obviously, he valued his life to me was 600 quid and I got 600 pounds but at the time I collected it at, uh, just before my 18th birthday it was 720. That's 720 pound best money I've ever spent in my life because I paid for the wedding and uh, we got married of course, everybody had a do up in the Lansdowne court and all the rest of it and, and uh, yeah, fit came on the wedding of course and <laughs> Fit came to the landslide court after the wedding and Mary's family had all got together like, and Mary's family like are pretty green so they all got together Fit says to me which ones do you need to look out for? I says well all of them they with respect." respecting Jerry <laughs> <laughs> but anyway Fit he, he made a speech that day that he, he knocked them all back into the shells basically and uh, and he got a round of applause it was, was heartwarming to watch but it was a sad speech but a good speech and he got everybody back in and uh, Anyway, we, we we set off. My mum was in a better place by then. she was okay, so our honeymoon consisted of my mother staying in Belfast for three days uh, with her partner, and Mary and I would travel to less than and have three days on our own in the house because we had to live with my mother for a couple of weeks before we moved anywhere else anyway. so, so, so we so we got on, on the plane and uh, 17 a month before 18th birthday i still had some confetti in my here, uh, and them days, of course, and and the the has uh, come up and says, ah, Mister Mister Wilson, uh, on the, I'm pretty sure it was in the captain's compliments. Uh, a drink on 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 the captain, please. What would you like?" So, what did I order? Half a can of Guinness and a brick big orange because I had no idea what you're supposed to drink. You know, would have <laughs> ordered a bottle of champagne or something. <laughs> like Half a pint of Guinness and a brick big orange. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we've got the plane in the Gatwick, uh, and it said Gatwick London. So I'm assuming Gatwick London is like Aldergrove Belfast. No idea. Jump on a plane, away we go. <laughs> so we jump So I think it's the same thing. So we come out the airport, jump on a taxi, uh, Saint Pancras. Oh, the taxi driver loved it, didn't he? So I'm absolutely certain we drove around Buckingham Palace half a dozen times from Saint <laughs> Pancras. But but I was earning twenty five quid a week at the time, and it cost twelve point fifty for the taxi. So you got a fair. Anyway, so we, we we arrive in we arrive in England, and uh, uh, we have three days on a run of course, and we live with her, our, 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 my mum. And again, my mum's got a new life, but the drinking hasn't stopped. This time, it's got this stage where she's disguising it. She's not she's not hiding it. She's she, she's hiding it. She's not drinking openly anymore. The uh, play balls are hidden in different various pop places and all the rest of it, and. And uh she's basically filling up cups of tea that looked like they're not tea and but everybody knew what was going on, but and the more you tried to stop it, the more she'd promise and the more things would change and, and but it was just a, a slow downhill would spiral, you know what I mean. She's and, and the sad thing is it she actually died at sixty three. Which is nothing in this day and age, and and she's seen her, her, her three grandchildren, but what she missed out was in three fantastic granddaughters. Yeah, but but life takes in different directions. The, the, the point I was trying to make when, when when I decided to do this was for any young person in Northern Ireland to to, to listen to the the, the the rhetoric, and and, and I know some of it may hit home, and some of it you may feel that you're in that position where your backs are against the wall or, or you've got no option or politicians aren't doing this, politicians aren't doing that. The other option is not viable. It doesn't achieve absolutely – it achieves nothing. It achieves nothing. And 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 believe me, over the years I've seen it and I've watched it, the people that stand at the back and antagonize and antagonize are not the people who go to prison. They're not the people who commit the crimes. They're not the people who've got to live with it for the rest of their lives. Now. That's not to say John White once delivered a crime for the rest of his life because when I done the the Loyalist program, um, Taylor got in touch with me and asked me, did I want to do it? And the, the producers came across to the house. This was two nights for it for you to go out, by the way. I was supposed to go out on a Sunday night. I think they rang me on a Thursday. I said, just to let you know, Paul, we've got this Loyalist series and John White's on the front of it and it's, it's a pretty gruesome. I said, are we you going to put it out? And I can't speak. I said, What's up with you people? You need to give me a chance. So he came up to the house and uh, the producers, and, and this is probably unofficial, and I'm sure Mr. Taylor would, would, would step away from this comment whatsoever because it wasn't him who said it. But one of his producers said, yes, you know, we've introduced this guy. And he said, all we can say that is, he's, he's, she said to me, I remember the words quite clearly, he said, this guy's Dr. Death. He's just cold, calculated, and he doesn't care about anything. He's not interested. He's, he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I'd I, I, I done the, the Loyalist show. I actually said more than what they put on, which which is probably sensible when they edit the whole thing because I probably said, oh, maybe maybe I possibly shouldn't have done because I was very angry at them, There, I was, I, was, I was raging. I was mad. I'm watching breakfast TV one morning, and which I don't normally do. Years ago, I have a cup of tea. And, and Fitz on there with uh, uh, Eamon Holmes. And Fitz absolutely kicking off on TV because John White's been released. And I, I don't know anything about it. See so The phone goes about 20 minutes after the breakfast TV finishes, and it's fit. And, of course, you can't understand Jerry when he's angry because it's not every second words of swear. It's every one and a half words of swear. He can't put <laughs> a, a sentence together. And all I got was F, 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 B. I said, well, Jerry, calm down. What are you talking about here? What's going on? What are you going to do about it? He says, said, "Me? what do you want me to do? What can I do? So I was raging. And I did say at the time that all I could think about when he met John Major was was... You know, my father fought for his life against that guy. You yeah, know, he did. I mean, the coroner even said it. You know, he said there was a fight put up there. But, but this guy carried on and did what he had to do. And he, you know, he he even passed the realms of understandability. And not only planning a crime, committing the crime, but the way it was committed, it, it's barbaric, quite honestly. And, and, and he got released from prison. I was mad. I was angry.
1: I was. Uh, uh, me and Gareth have talked about this before. There, there are many people who have taken part in this conflict that have carried out what we would see as hard crimes um, that should never have happened. But there are those people who were always going to carry out those crimes in this conflict. Give them a cover to carry yes. out the crimes and give yes. them a, some sort of um, some sort of reason to do it uh, and 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 to get away with it within their yes. own communities. There were right. there's people out there who are psychotic. Uh, and evil and we're always going to do something along these lines um and use this as a flag of convenience to do so and i i I, I think that's where this this lies to be honest paul well yeah.
2: there's 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 Catholics and Protestants in England, but nobody goes about cutting people's heads off, nobody keeps going about stabbing people there's yes okay i i this was not this is not 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 a political thing of course is that, that's not why I'm doing this at all I've, I've got no but but but, what's changed? What's changed from the guys in '71 spitting on my father's shoes and spitting on his chest and spitting on his face and calling him a Fenian bastard until today? Now nobody dies anymore. Granted, and I, I'm so 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 glad for that. And. And what hurts the most is watching what's going on now. Okay, social media is a curse and it's a blessing as well. But what's going on at the minute is is it's is is incredibly it's either naive of people not to understand what happened or storytelling what happened. And and, and and if you look at the gable walls across Belfast, it's full of murderers. There's faces on them that people have killed people. And, and people look up to them. They're glorified. There's 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 bands named after people. There's 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 all sorts of stuff named after people who committed murder. And it's become acceptable. It's 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 become acceptable to to. It's what sectarianism has always had an undercurrent, and and even now it still has an undercurrent. There's so many people saying so many nice things on on TV and on Twitter and all the rest of it. But when you start scratching the surface and when you start going deeper and deeper and deeper, at the bottom of the, the hole, you'll always find somewhere amongst every single person that there's that bit of, well, it's them and, or it's those ones, or it's, and there's no need for that anymore. There's not, the Good Friday Agreement was signed rightly or wrongly, and it brought peace. The, the early release scheme was agreed rightly or wrongly, but my 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 conversion to to, to 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 my views in this particular day wasn't wasn't a, a, a St Paul's to Damascus thing. You know, it was it was a long ongoing process of going through anger, going through the process of hating, going through the process of actually thinking: should I hurt somebody? Should I should I should I do something to fight back? Should I do? And, and, and luckily, my mother, through all the problems that she had, seen somehow. That this was arising, seen that she had to get me out of England, seen the reasons. That first of all, she probably had to get out as well, but seen the reasons why we both had to escape. And it's the most bravest decision at the time. I hated her for it, but it's the most bravest decision that woman ever took in her life, ever ever took in her life to leave her family. To come across here where there was no social media. There was no to put to ring your family. You had to tell them to go to your because nobody had phones. You had to tell them to go to your phone box at seven o'clock on a Friday night, and you went. and You put your ten p's in, and you rang your family to say hello. So there was no family. There was no support. There was no nothing. So she took a massive, massive, huge decision to do what she did, and quite rightly, she she made the right decision.
1: Yeah, she made.
2: I've, I've got, I've got, I've got nightmares about what would have happened had she not made that decision.
1: Yeah, it's it certainly certainly seemed to be the right decision at the right time um no matter well, what was going on in her head she yes the maternal instinct was there to protect her, her son. I,
2: I, I believe so I never yeah. always was I mean I, 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 you know, she had her hard times of course and that's all emotional and uh, but but at the bottom line she's her mother loved me I was her only son but but yeah we went through some pretty hard times after my dad died that's for certain. And the family split, as happens occasionally. You have a family that goes down the middle. One wants to go their way, one wants to go the other way. And my cousin Michael, who who was my uncle, Eddie who lived down the street, I didn't see for 42 years, uh, managed to contact each other and agreed to meet up about two years ago. And he had a he had a place down in Dunfanahe. So I flew over, hired a car. We met up at the uh, the Glenchain Pass, the pub at the top of Glenchain Pass, <laughs> had a wee chat drove through, and this is the one thing he said to me, which is, which is quite astonishing. We drove through Derry and we stopped as we went into letter Kenny and he pulled the car over the side of the road. I think it was outside of church. And he said to me, look, and we looked up at a tricolor and he said, that's the first time since you, since you got off the plane that you've seen that tricolor not flown in anger. Yeah. And, and uh, absolutely amazing what he said to me, because it's quite true. That tricolor wasn't flown in anger. It was, you know, and and anyway, we, we, we caught up with Don Fanny. We had a, we had a fantastic time, a great time. And we, we we ended up talking non-stop, as you can imagine. I, I ramble on a bit sometimes, but we ended up we put a bottle of, put a bottle of Jamesons on the table when we go back from the when we go back in the pub actually. <laughs> put a bottle of Jamesons on the table, a little glass of water, and we cracked on, oh, for hours and hours and hours. And you, you know, when Donegal at that time of the year, June, it, like, never really gets dark, sort of thing. So like it was always, you looked up, you could still see the the night sky, the the, the the daylight. And then we had another two cousins meet us the next day who I, I hadn't seen for years and years and years. And we had a fantastic weekend. It was It was great. It was absolutely lovely. And then it knocked it all off. I, I drove back in the morning, get my plane back on a Monday morning. I thought I'm going to have a wee run around Kilkill Park just to have a look. I hadn't been up for oh so many years. And was I shocked. Was I absolutely shocked when I got there. I was so disappointed. I think I broke into tears. I stopped the car outside the house, and and every single lamppost had a Union Jack, an Ulster flag, and whatever other one was, a UDA, UVF, whatever it was, flag, every single lamppost. In my days of growing up through the troubles, that never, ever happened, not once. Neighbours put their flags up, of course. As the troubles went on and started to begin, there was more flags went up, and they deviated, of course, from, from, from the Union flag. To, and in some cases a vanguard flag, but they they deviated. But I had never seen, I had never seen Bally Silna or Kilcule Park. I like had never, never, never. And my uncle, Eddie, lived through it. He only died uh, four or five years ago, and, and he was still living in Kilcule Park to that day. And a uh, fair play to him. <laughs> I mean, it was a tough old run, but, but yeah, he did it. But... Uh, Yes, and my uncle Eddie's a marvelous guy. I, I didn't realize till I met Michael we were having a whiskey we were sitting talking, and he told me about how it affected his dad, uh, identifying my dad.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. People don't sometimes see past the headlines. Uh, yeah. the, the, these consequences are human, uh, and these consequences rip through families and friends, and um, witnesses, and it's... It's a ripple effect that has devastating effects across the, across the board. Yes, I, no, of course. And I, I think that's where those guys who are at the minute talking gung-ho need to see where this goes. Yes. There, there are plenty of, of us who remember it, and there's plenty of us who have lived it, and there's plenty of us yes. who do yeah. not want to tread that path again, because no, no. No, nobody wins. No.
2: Nobody, nobody. wins. Nobody, nobody wins. No, there's, 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 there's no win. There, there's not. There, there's, there's, but the thing is, what, what's going on, Sam uh, and, and Gareth, is there's been, there's been various times over the years where there has been a, a, a bridge that's been available for people to accept and concede certain things that would improve the lives of people. On the, and it's not a political point to make it. It's not. It's not. It's not. But we had the Sunningdale Agreement back in 1972. 70. That was rejected by the same people who were expiating the hatred over the troubles and continued the troubles all through the years. That was that was that was that was rejected by republicanism and it was rejected by loyalism, and we end up with a Good Friday Agreement, which basically is for 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 basically slow learners, quite frankly. And all those people died in the middle. Yeah, and we where we get we get yeah. back to square one again with with tens of thousands injured. And thousands and thousands and thousands of stories like mine, thousands and thousands of people like mine, knocking anybody's back door um, and any back street on the side street in the Shankill Road or the Falls Road. Oh, they don't understand. I, I, what I'm trying to say is, we've got a chance now. We've okay. Northern Ireland's gone into it's gone through a hard bit, and it'll always go through a hard bit until people begin to have respect for each other. It's simple as that. People need to understand and respect each other's beliefs, each other's traditions. And both both communities need to do need to concede to move forward, quite frankly. You know, I mean I I I I Donegal Street was a home of mine, and, and I stood outside the Scout Hall on numerous occasions over the years in the 70s. Uh, and quite frankly, Sam, I've watched Orange Parades every day of the week during the summer go up and down Donny Street. I, I've seen an MDES that nothing that they did. Wanted a hand put across to to, to shake hands, and say I understand what you're doing. You know, th- there's got to be respect, and and then the people turn around "Okay, now, tell me what you're doing, show me what you're doing." I, I mean, I understand now, but at the time I didn't. And I watch these orange parades go down. And I'm thinking, well, you know, as I go past St Patrick's Church, the followers are, are walking in the side streets on the on the, on the pavements and disparaging the church. Well, that's a church. It's a piece of stone. It makes no difference what they call it. They can do what they want, but but. The fact remains they're doing it so other people can hear them do it. Yeah. And and there's there's no need. There's, there's, there's no need. Having I mean, said that of course, I remember the first Protestant church I went to when I was a when I was a child. And you were told, you know where you're brought up Catholic and you, you you know how it is over there. And I don't know how old it would be. And and I went to this Protestant church and I looked around and see nobody's looking and I blessed myself before I went in. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on I'm in here just gotta be, you know. <laughs> My 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 children now have been brought up. The thing about living over here is, yeah, some people will agree, some people. It's their church. I, I was here through circumstance and, and I built a life. But my children are free. They're free. They're free to choose whatever they want to do. They're free to. They're free to, They've got no constraints. They went through. My children all went to Catholic schools. They all went to Catholic schools. So junior and and, and they, so they've all been Catholic Church. They've all been christened and all the rest of it. And they've all been. They've all married uh, Church of England people. High everyone. <laughs> they've had to get they've had to get married in the Catholic Church because I don't think they're going to pass Mary there. She she, she would all, <laughs> she 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 would have dug the tank in for that one. Anyway, so they all get they all get they all get married in, in a Catholic church, but none of them none of them are being indoctrinated through religion. Now, people can chastise me for that or not, that's their, their choice. But they're free. They're free to do Mary goes to Mass every Sunday. I go I go occasionally. Uh my family don't. They go to Christians and weddings funerals, uh, maybe Christmas or something like that. But but did they don't? My grandchildren, you know, Harlow, my eldest granddaughter, Mary took her to, took her to mass when she was about six. And I swear to God, she clasped her hands bigger than the Pope she, she thought it was like, you know, she had to like, my God, you know, like show everybody what I'm doing. She what they're standing at it's not their not their place. And, and my son blessed, when I told this to Claire Hannah a while back and, and I got some answers on on the, but my son at the last my son and I don't talk about politics, quite frankly. We discuss uh, quite rigorously things. But anyway, I, I, I found out the last election he came on with and he actually voted Tory. Well, that caused... <laughs> <sex>. Oh, <laughs> oh I, know, I know. Up until
1: this point, Paul, I've been with you. I have been with I, you, but this is the bridge too so far.
2: You will not. That's exactly what Claire Hannah said. <laughs> I, and I got, I, got, I, got me- I got messages coming up on the screen saying Paddy Wilson would turn in his grave and all the rest. It's it. quite true. <laughs> it's, it's quite true. However... Uh, I don't think they'll be doing it again because of the, the, the way the, 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 the anyway numerous reasons. But but what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to get across is that they're free. Yeah, they, they don't have to. They're free. They can do what they want. Okay, they have got media answer attention if they choose that route. But 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 m- m- the rest of my fans, they're free. They can choose what they. They understand totally about Belfast. They understand my story. Um, they've been across to Belfast numerous times uh the granddaughters actually can put a, a north belfast accent on that they that, that could pass pass by in bally or any problem whatsoever just take the mick out of mary you know what i mean because <laughs> and uh but but it, it pleases me no end that they're, they're they've got no bigotry they've got no preconceived ideas of who their friend in the next street is or, or should be it's yeah. just it's 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 a nice thing it's all politically wise I disagree with him sometimes, but that's me (laughs) I'm the sort of a politician opinionated sometimes.
0: Well, I think we're about to run out of time there, so it's probably a good time to sort of end it and say thanks, Paul, and really appreciate you taking the time to to do that. Thanks for listening, and please do subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast app. It helps people find us. Shrapnel is part of the Tortoise Shack Network, an independent platform that relies on listeners. For much more content like this, join us at patreon.com forward slash shack Thanks for listening.